So, hello and welcome to another podcast by the School of Surgery. My name is Dr Naomi Lasker and I'm one of the F1s at Royal Army Hospital. I'm joined today with Dr Rena Shornak, who is also one of the other F1s at Royal Army, and Dr David Restall. Um, so we're soon to be F2s in about a week, um, but we thought that we'd pass on our wisdom and talk to you all today about how to be a good F1. So the objectives that we've got are keep us of an up-to-date job list, how to run an efficient ward round, prioritisation of tasks, how to know when to take breaks, raising concerns, handover of tasks, how to survive on calls, and any other odd tips that we can think of. So, we'll, uh, we'll start with uh, the importance of up-to-date job lists. Rena, what have you found over this past year? Uh, well, I think one of the most important things, when you, especially when you're starting a new job, is that your patient list is up-to-date and that you're familiar with it. So, if you know your patients, you know who's on the list, you know what's on the list... If you get asked about any of your patients, you can always give a short summary about what's going on with them. And as part of that, you have on that list then all the jobs that you know need to be done for those patients. So uh, you know where you're at with progressing through ordering an image to getting the result to taking it further. If you're working in a big team, I think it's really important as well that everyone is updating that list and adding to it so that you know exactly where you're at and that you can work together and not cover the same tasks to make sure that stuff is getting done within the group and not getting repeated. But uh, David, what, what have you found over this year? I think that the list is something that you're entrusted with wholly as an F1, whereas other things you can rely on others to help you out with. Um, it's something that's really easy to get right, um, but if you get it wrong you do look a bit of a fool. So especially when you're starting out, it's good to be organised, it's good to, like Rena said, you know, have a list of all of your patients past medical histories, outstanding issues, uh, and just generic things that you're likely to be asked on the ward round. I think, um, I remember when, when we first came, we used to have to come in quite a bit earlier to start off with the list, didn't we? Yeah, um, we and, did. And keep things quite updated. But then I think as you as you go on, I think it starts off being about a good half an hour it take us just to update the list. <laughs> uh, but I think now we've got it down to about five minutes, haven't we? Yeah, and I think my top tip with lists actually would be colour. You don't have to print it in colour, but having your patients going home in green just makes you feel so much better, knowing that you know that they're going. Some healthy OCD. Definitely. So, um, our point number two was uh, how to have an efficient ward round. So, David, Rena and I actually all started off um, on the same job. We, we learnt how each other works quite well, actually, from that. Um, but, Rena, what, what can you add about this, then? Having an efficient ward round, I think... I think makes everything so much easier and you know exactly where you are and part of that is getting on well as a team and Mm. I know we were going to talk later about team dynamics and knowing how to get on with people and that is part of it Um, but if you've got enough of you especially on a busy surgical ward round if you've got one person currently writing the notes at that time seeing that patient then the rest of the team can be preparing the notes for the next two or three patients you're going to Mm. see so that when you get to them, everything's ready. Your senior just has to walk in, see them, and you can just write down the plan. You don't have to go through finding out their OBS and what meds they're on and what day of antibiotics they're on. That makes things so much easier. Definitely. And I think um, one of the other things that we used to do um, is that you should write down the plans on your jobs list as you go along as well. Uh, so anything that you know, you, any tasks that have to be done from the ward round, write them down on the list. Otherwise, you'll end up going back to the patient's individual um, notes just to find out something you wrote about half an hour ago. 
Um, but David, what else can you? Can yeah, you I mean, I can only, I can only echo what you guys have said. You know, especially in the sense of having that relay. If there's enough of you, it just makes things so much more slicker and efficient. I don't think there's much more frustrating things for a senior than being by a bedside waiting for you to find the notes, find the blood results, find out what happened yesterday. So if you can get someone to sort of go ahead of the team and prepare everything in advance and it makes it so much quicker and slicker. I think another thing that I found as well is if you um, if you have quite a few of you, uh, you can also do some of the simple jobs as you go around. So for example, yeah. prescribing you know some analgesia for a patient or anti-sickness or something um, or quickly putting out a, a blood test that might be might need to be done later um you can do these as you go around and it actually it will take you less time to do it on the ward round than it will to write down the job mm. yeah um so i think that's something else i found as well especially when you've got like we have in derby a computer-based system where you've yeah. got the computer with you on the ward round if you were still working on paper that might be trickier to do but i think when you've got computers already at hand it's good just to get things done mm was uh, prioritisation of jobs. Um, David, let's start with you on this one. I think it goes without saying that if you've got someone sick that needs to be seen, then they come at the top of the list. But most of the stuff that we do as F1s on a day-to-day basis on the ward is admittedly admin stuff. Um, I think it differs as to who you are and what way you prioritise things. But in my mind, if there was a job that was potentially delaying someone's discharge, I'd try and tackle that first. Or if there was an investigation that was preventing someone from going for a particular intervention, say, for example, someone needed um, a coagulation investigation before they went for a drain insertion, then you'd do those those things first just to keep the ball rolling with all of your patients. Mm-hmm. Rena? I think a general rule is if there's a job you don't want to do, that you, your heart <laughs> sinks at the thought of doing, do that first, get it done. Because I think we all know those jobs. Yeah. yeah. Face the music. Yeah. And they're the ones that will probably take the most time and you know that they're going to be difficult or there's something about them you don't want to do and get them done, get them sorted and then you can get on and do all the other stuff that's fairly painless afterwards. Mm. Um, that'd be my sort of top tip. But yeah, I mean, sick patients come first. That's always important, yeah. like Dave said. I know that... Often, especially on medicine, ward rounds often finish about you know, three, four o'clock sometimes. <laughs> um, so uh, one of my other top tips would be uh, any refer- any referrals or um, conversations that need to be held before five o'clock, before you know normal day teams finish and you need to go to out of hours. Um, do those well before five o'clock. Yeah. Um, so that they can be acted on if they need to. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. So the next thing we thought of was uh, how to know when to take a break. Um, I think this is something that we all struggled with um, and becomes really evident, actually, when if you do your hours monitoring. Um, yeah. And you realise when you jot down your hours that you actually didn't take a break all day. <laughs> Rena, you know, what, did, what did you find? Well, this is one of my biggest bugbears, and I'm always mm. saying this to people, because I just think it's so important that you have some time for yourself in the day. You need to eat. You need to have a wee. You just need to stretch your legs and get out of the office and away yeah. from, often away from yeah. the computer. You know, we do a lot of admin stuff at a computer, um, writing TTOs, ch- chasing results. You know, mm. all that is now computer based here. So you need to just get away from that for at least five or ten minutes. And eating is just a massive thing. Because I see so <laughs> many people eating their lunch at their desk. And I'm always dragging people off, saying, no, that's enough. Well, that's it, we're going to have lunch yeah. now. I think I've been on the other end of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you have. Yeah. Um, and I think a good time for that is when patients are having protective mealtimes. Yeah. And I know that feels a bit odd because sometimes it's like 12 o'clock and you've only just finished the ward round and you want to get on with stuff. But actually, sometimes it's better. You can't always do much for mm. your patients when they're eating because it's protected. So 
go then, mm. have half an hour and then come back. Or just once the urgent stuff is done, just everybody says, no, that's it, we're going, we're going to have a break. Make sure the nurses know that you're going to have some mm. lunch and you will be back and when you'll be back mm. so that they'll just give you a half an hour break and then when you're back you can tackle things again. Mm. I think some people work at, work through their breaks often because they want to try and get out on time and things, but it actually makes you slow, it slows you down mm. really if you haven't had anything to eat or drink all day. And I think, well, I myself would say I'm definitely a happier person when I've been fed and watered. Um, so much nicer to work with. Uh, but David, what else could you add to this? I think a lot of people try to think they're infallible and they can sort of <laughs> plough on through the day with not having a wee, not having anything to eat or drink. But like you said, it relates to productivity. You know, if you're hungry, if you're tired, then you're not going to do that job as efficiently and as quickly as you could have done beforehand. Um, so scheduling breaks into your normal daily routine is a, is a great idea, you know, mm. as a team saying, right, at 12 o'clock we're going to sit down, we're going to go through the list for 15 minutes to find out what we need to do in the afternoon, and then after that we're going to go for half an hour in the mess and have something to eat and drink. Mm. And one thing that Dave and I did actually when we worked together in our second job was that at half past 10, 11 o'clock every day we took five minutes out of the wardrobe and we had a cup of tea. The whole team. Oh, that sounds good. And that was yeah. really good because, <laughs> like, I mean, it was a lot of it was junior-led wardrobes, which was why that was possible, but yeah. actually... Sometimes there was a natural break in the consultant board and if they had to go and mm. do something or sometimes if they were amenable to the idea. You <laughs> just literally had five minutes, yeah. had a cup of tea, everybody felt better, everyone felt like they could then renewed vigour. Otherwise, mm. the patients at the second half of the ward round every day yeah. just yeah. get a bit of a rough deal when everyone's a bit <laughs> lethargic and lost their enthusiasm. Yeah. It's a great way to get to know your colleagues a little mm. bit better as well, isn't it? Because mm, I know yeah. we were lucky in the sense that we started on surgery together and moved to cardiology but we didn't know everyone else. So having yeah. that five or ten minutes halfway through the morning to sit down over a cup of tea and a biscuit, you know, you can find out things about people that you never <laughs> knew before. Yeah. So it's always nice Is in terms... Is that a good or a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't like to say. But, um, but in terms of team building, it's yeah. definitely worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. That sounds good. And that nicely goes on to our next point of um, raising concerns and how to sort of deal with, with your co-workers, whether they're doctors, nurses or other health professionals. Um, but... Uh, David, what, what have you found in, in the last year then? I think I've been really fortunate in the sense that I haven't really come into conflict or had to raise concerns about anyone or anything, but I'm mm. sure that's the exception rather than the rule. Um, I think people would like you to manage your conflicts locally first. There's yeah. nothing worse than having a minor disagreement or altercation with one of your colleagues, whether they be a similar junior or a member of nursing staff, and then just going completely overboard and escalating it. I think we're all professionals, we're all amenable to discussion and talking things through. So if you do disagree with someone about uh, the way they've approached a patient, their management plan, something that they've said to you, then there's absolutely no harm whatsoever in, in taking that up with them mm -hmm. on their own in an appropriate environment. You're not going to sort of chastise them in the middle of ward round for calling you something or other, but, but you know, mm -hmm. there is a time and a place and you can talk to your colleagues. There have been a couple of occasions, for example, not so much raising concerns, but more... Um, sort of disagreement in patients management mm. plans or something and uh, I myself you know you go and you talk to the people um, about it you find out what you know their side of the story what's actually gone on from their point of view because at the end of the day the only thing that you know is what is what you see in front of you and what's been documented in notes um, but it's it's always good to get the full story uh, before trying to escalate it to anyone else. There's often a lot of Chinese whispers as well, yeah. so someone will say that so-and-so said, and it just gets ridiculous, especially, I think, with relationships between doctors and nurses. If, mm. if one nurse mentions to one member of the team that another nurse is annoyed at another doctor, I mean, it just gets ridiculous. <laughs> 
So actually, if you go and speak directly to that person, you yeah. can often clear things up and there's yeah. often not an issue then. Yeah. But I think the flip side of that as well is it's really important to feel like you can escalate things if you yeah. feel things being are being done wrong or there's yeah. a dangerous aspect. And I think that if you don't feel comfortable going to a senior every member of staff can do an IR1 report and mm. I think it's really important to take away from the fact that an IR1 is that you're getting someone in trouble it's more about reporting an incident and trying to solve a problem in a system um, and if you don't feel like you can go and talk to someone directly that's a really good thing to be doing and we should all be doing them more than we do mm. um, Rina you mentioned IR1 just for the people who don't know what an IR1 is oh sorry so, an, in, so an incident report yeah. so if, if something happens on the ward mm. that you feel is dangerous mm -hmm. then it's just an instant report that you fill in some people call it datixes as well yeah. um to to highlight areas so that it can be investigated so they can find out where they can put safeguards in the system and i think one one again. key thing about the ir1s is that it's not a blame culture at all it's more um to highlight things that have gone wrong and to try and find ways to improve that and prevent it from pre prevent it from happening in future yeah um, because I know some people are concerned about them just because they think, oh, this person will get in trouble yeah. because of it. But it's it's not it's not for that. Okay, so uh, now we'll should we go on to um, how to deal with any sort of an emergency? You know, David, Rena, and I have all been in several situations um, where we think, oh my god, I do not know what to do. Um, but I I would say first thing I've always thought of doing is just ABC. Um, what, what would you say, David? No, completely agree. You know, you get into those situations where you've got no idea what's going on and because A to E has been drilled into you so much during mm. medical school, you can sort of do it off the cuff without having to think about yeah. it, which in turn buys you some thinking time to think, right, what do I actually have to do now? Um, I think medical school is bad in the sense that when they present you with the acutely unwell patient, they always imply that they're peri-arrest. But I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the, the unwell patients that I've been to seen, yes, they're sick, yes, their observations aren't where you'd like them to be, but you still have time to assess them appropriately and think of a suitable management plan and ask for help if you need it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the bottom line. Um, as an F1, we can only do so, so many things, can't we? You know, we can do our A to E, we can rattle off a few investigations, but after that, sort of, we've served our purpose and there's no... There's no shame in asking for help or, or getting a senior involved. And as long as you've done the things that you can do to the best of your ability, then no one's going to shout at you or be mad at you. Mm. Rena? Yeah, I completely agree with that statement. And I think um, once you've got someone past the ABC point, I think the most useful thing you can do is do an ABG. <laughs> that's the thing I found is just when I don't know what to do do an ABG yeah. it One gives the, uh, you so much information I think it was a consultant of mine actually said to me fairly recently um, if you do an ABG it's because you're they're, they're incredible tests but it helps you and buys you some time yeah. uh, to figure out what's going on and I have had situations where I've had unwell patients who are stable but I'm worried about I've done an ABG looked at it and thought I am completely out of my depth here this person is really sick mm. and I am not mm. safe on my own dealing with this and I've gone via MAU to pick up on-call acute care trainees to say, can you come with me to see this person? Because I'm worried that they're peri-arrest. And, mm. you know, it gives you that bit of extra support when you need it. Yeah. I think when I was starting out, and I think it's a similar situation for a lot of people that are just about to embark on F1, is that you're absolutely terrified of one of your patients arresting in some roundabout way. You think that's a reflection of your poor care. Mm. And it isn't. If you're called to see a patient and they do look like they're peri-arrest, then realistically, what are you going to do in those few minutes to stop that from happening? 
if worst comes to the worst and they do arrest, then you just call the crash team and they'll be there to provide your backup instantly. It's not a reflection of your practice whatsoever. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're in hospital, and that's we, as long as we try to prevent what we can, that's mm. that's all we can really do. We're not, we're not, we can't save everyone, unfortunately. However <laughs> much we'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think this, this sort of nicely goes on to our next point, which is uh, how to survive on calls. And I know emergencies are sort of the bread and butter of the on calls, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but we, we'll divide this up into sort of surgical nights and medical nights. Um, so from our surgical nights, uh, what would you say they usually consist of? So there's a lot of fluids, always lots of fluids <laughs> on nights. There's the odd um, bit of warfarin that's been left over from the day that didn't quite get prescribed for six o'clock. There's lots of things like antibiotics, uh, vank levels, gentamicin levels that need to be done. Um, and chasing chasing imaging from the day, if there's something urgent that's been hanging over, then that's quite a lot of what you do. Um, occasionally there's a new obstruction or you know, a patient who's an NG tube, mm. that sort of thing comes up occasionally. Um, but I think mainly within Derby there's a lot of or new temperatures or patients yeah. who are already on treatment on antibiotics having temperatures, mm. needing a review, needing blood cultures. Um, and there's a lot of bread and butter in that but I think especially with fluids there's so much which is nursing staff requesting fluids for patients Mm. and don't be afraid to take a good look at your patient at their history and whether they actually need them because lots of people get prescribed too much fluid yeah and it's just as bad as not enough fluid um, always check their use and ease before you prescribe mm, fluids there's yeah. so many patients I've, I've seen that you know have high potassiums and yet we're still prescribing heartlands yeah. so uh yeah definitely check and fluid things. balance charts yeah. as well you yeah. know people say oh they're not drinking mm. but it's actually two o'clock in the morning and they shouldn't be <laughs> having a drink so that's probably okay and that might be able to wait till morning for a proper yeah. review yeah. i think if i was ever worried about fluids and you had um a number of staff insisting that they needed fluids because they weren't eating or drinking, but like you say, it might be two o'clock in the morning, so they mm. wouldn't be anyway. I would always calculate the um, obligatory volume of urine, even if that's if they're catheterized, yeah. because then you can kind of ascertain whether they are producing enough urine, whether their kidneys are sufficiently perfused, and whether they're sufficiently hydrated. So that's something I would always do. Yeah, but yeah, I think that that is majority of what we've seen on surgical nights. That and maybe you know a few reviews of patients at the post-operative and their sight might be leaking or something um but then you know and common sense isn't it you know if someone's someone's wound is a little bit leaky or you know they're not feeling very well then you just have to assess whether you feel they're unwell enough to need a further senior review or whether you can just keep an eye on them overnight and see what happens i found that i know this is more generic to both surgical and medical nights but i found that my mindset changed i don't know if it applied to you but Mm. when you're on the ward during the day you've got your bunch of patients that you're looking after uh, and your ambition, yeah. Your ambition is to um, is to to try and get them to a position where they're better and suitable to go home. I found that on my nights, you, your your role is changed slightly. It's what can I do to get this patient through till the morning, <laughs> when yeah. their day team that know them better than anyone can pick them up and carry on their care. Yeah. So I think that's how the how it's subtly different. Yeah. To to just the normal working day. Yeah, definitely. I one hundred percent agree with you on that. That um, you've got an awful lot more of patients. I think. You know, we cover about 14, 15 different wards on a night in Derby. Um, and you can't look after every single one of these patients in the same way that you can mm. during the day. So you do just have to look after people who are sick or urgently need attention. 
um, and get them through those 12 hours. I think that's the key because I found on my nights in particular, you get landed with a lot of jobs that don't necessarily meet the criteria for having to be seen out of hours. I mean, I can think of an example. Well, uh, don't, don't worry, we'll, we'll go on to talk about that on our next point. But, but no, sorry to stop you on that, was there anything else you wanted to No, about? no. Um, but is there anything in particular you found on medical nights that you'd say differed from surgical nights? I seem to have a lot of patients with AF for medical nights. I don't know yeah. whether that was just that I attracted them. I had SBT quite a few really? times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting confident with management of AF in an acute situation, yeah. I think, was was a useful thing to know. Um, and generally, my attitude was, as long as I felt competent to dealing with the situation, mm. I would manage it up to a point. And I'd always say to the nurses, you know, this is the treatment I've put in place. If you're worried or if things change, just send another referral it's not a problem and then if they'd referred them again even if I felt the patient was okay and that I'd stabilized them I would usually just call the registrar Mm. with all the information explain what I'd done and make sure there was nothing else that they thought Mm. I should be doing or that I'd missed because especially in the middle of the night you might not be asking for a review you may just need some confirmation that you've done everything Mm. right but it can be easy to make mistakes or miss things and if you've been asked to come back a second time the person's obviously not improving as much as you need them to so I think that's always worth bearing in mind that if you've got a good relationship with your registrar it's good yeah. to just pass things by them but on the, on the back of that I think uh, I, I agree with you I, I found that I called the registrar quite a bit actually on my medical nights but not so much to come and see the patients more just to say okay look I've done this that and the other yeah uh, for this patient do you think that there's anything else you want to add to it yeah um you know did you want to come and see them from the story and the history that I've given you um but I think one thing that's important, I remember on one of my nights, one of my regs wasn't actually as approachable um, as I would have liked. <laughs> but um, no matter how approachable or unapproachable they are, if you need a senior review, their personality should not get in the way of that. Um, I know it makes it more difficult at times, but you still, uh, you should still refer to them no matter what, Yeah. if, you, yeah. if you're worried about it. There's no shame in, I know it's sort of a, an objective thing, but for feeling needy. Yeah. Um, I'd rather, even now going into F2, I'd much rather be seen as someone that's overcautious and always talking to the reg as opposed yeah. to one of these people that thinks they can manage it on their own only to let their patient deteriorate. That's the sort of thing that will land you in trouble as opposed to continually pestering the registrar. Yeah. Um, so uh, so I think, I think any, any more to add on that? No. So one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was the handover of tasks, um, which I know David wanted to touch on earlier. Um, so when so when we hand over at the end of the day, so after your sort of normal eight to four or nine to five job, uh, what sort of tasks would you say should be best to hand over to the out of hours team? Generally, it always needs to be things that are considered urgent. And if you think about it, do they need to be done before mm. the end of that day, or can they wait until the morning? And sometimes people hand over things like chasing bloods, which are not appropriate for handing over to a night team. That's something that you you need to do within your day job. If there's a problem there that, in terms of the timeline, cannot be managed by you at that point, then that would be acceptable to hand over. But you you shouldn't be handing over routine day jobs like Mm. that to to an on-call team because it's just not fair on the person who's covering. I think one thing to bear in mind is when when you do the out-of-hours, the flip side of it, when, when you are that person you realise how many inappropriate referrals you get. And, and these, these actually taper down uh, throughout the year, I think. I think when we first started, there were quite a few that 
you know, as an out of hours you were you were dealing with. Um, you know, please prescribe this patient's normal warfarin, which could have been done during the day. Um, but the day team didn't get around to doing it for whatever reason. Um, and also, if you're the on-call person, you don't know that patient. Mm. So the chances of you making mistakes because you don't know the patient, yeah. you don't know their medical history, is higher mm. than the day team who are looking after them all day and know them inside out and mm. can make an informed decision with all that information. Yeah. And it is, it is when, you're, when you are that on-call person, it's, it's very busy because you're, ha- you're dealing once again with a, a much larger number of patients so to do everybody's routine jobs is just uh, quite excessive really so I think definitely try to um, really think about what you need to hand over to mm. the out of hours teams yeah. David is there anything else you want to add? I think you guys have already alluded to it but if in your mind you think this job can wait until nine o'clock tomorrow morning when I come back in then don't send the referral um, whatever you do don't refer um, a rectal examination from nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning um, to the night team because that won't go down too well. Um, but yeah, it's just about using common sense. Like Rena said, urgent things must be seen during the night and also time-dependent things like vancomycin, gentamicin dosing and things like that, things that can't wait until you arrive back in the morning. Yeah. Um, so just to uh, just to kind of finish off, are there any other final tips you could give to our, to our new F1s? Enjoy it. Try and enjoy it. I think F1 has, can be an amazing experience. I think it's hard work and there are days that are really rubbish. Um, but I think as long as you get on with your colleagues and that you work well together as a team, that mm. makes all the difference. Yeah. David? I think F1 is brilliant because unlike medical school, a lot of the learning that you do in F1 is via osmosis and (laughs) being there. Um, I mean, my learning curve increased exponentially just by being on the ward and you don't go home and have that horrible tension headache where you've been looking at books for hours on end. You know, it's very much a be there to see it and learn it kind of thing, which is always reassuring. Like Rena said, enjoy it. Don't get bogged down. Um, be nice to everyone smile <laughs> taking yeah. 30 seconds to have a chat with a nurse about how her wedding at the weekend was <laughs> will, will do the world of good and it helps to, to build that camaraderie that will that will get you out of some tricky situations if you need it and I know I have had days when it's been mad and I've just stood in the bathroom mm. for like three minutes and just thought I just need to get some headspace for a couple of minutes <laughs> so yeah. that I can go out and carry on and I think everyone I've spoken to has had those yeah. moments. And there's no shame in doing that whatsoever. No. Especially in the first few months when you are just trying to get to grips with things. Yeah. Crying um, can be very therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> David, is this past experience? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so just to summarise um, just what, what we've said. Uh, so, definitely try to keep an up-to-date job list. Um, on ward rounds, definitely try, try the relay system if you've got enough of you. Um, and if you don't, then, you know, try, maybe have a chat with the senior and see if they can go slightly slower and just clarify plans with them, make sure you don't miss anything out. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. If you don't if you, yeah. you don't think you've heard something or you think you've got it wrong, always check, because it's much better to do it then than having to ring them later in clinic. <laughs> um, try and prioritise your tasks as you go through the day. Definitely take a break, uh, whether it's five minutes or whether it's half an hour, take a break during the day. It will actually help you be more efficient. Um, raise concerns if you need to but try and go through sort of the appropriate channels um, and then have conversations first yeah yeah. have conversations with the actual people Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) uh, that you're concerned about Um, and uh, deal with emergencies by the simple A to E 
assessment um, and you know on calls um, majority of it was made up by sort of fairly straightforward simple prescribing um, and then once again the ATE assessments and uh, hand over only appropriate tasks and enjoy it I think was, was nicely <laughs> yeah. nicely summarised there by Rena. Um, but yeah best of luck thank you